Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So when I was um, a little boy, I was brought up as Roman Catholic, and one day um, somebody very important came to the house. Um, I knew he was very important. I didn't, I'd seen him up at the front sometimes at church, and uh, he wore a little collar. And uh, my dad suddenly changed and started to go around, and my mum went and made it into the back and put the kettle on. And then we got biscuits and cake, and we never hardly ever got biscuits and cake. And I wasn't going to get any, it turned out. It was for him, this special visitor. And he kept being called Father. And everybody was calling him father. And I'm looking at him and my dad's calling him father. And I'm thinking, this is not your father. And then my mum's calling him father. And I'm thinking, this is not your father. But then I'm like, he's some kind of father. He's like the guy at the front of the church. And um, so I knew he was somebody special. And so when somebody special comes, you have to do something special for them. But what could I do? I didn't have a... I didn't have a, a cake, I didn't have a biscuit, I didn't have anything to give him. All I could give him was the very best that I could do, which was my frog impression. So I began, I, next to him, to hop and, and jump about and go, ribbit, 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 which was great. For me, it was great. And my dad was trying to talk to him, and, um, and, and, uh, and next to him, I would hop up, going, ribbit. Ribbit, ribbit. And I was giving him my very best, at which point the father turned round and said to my dad, will you stop that stupid boy making that noise? And I was sent to another room. Now, do you think that might have affected how I saw God at all? Just wondering. I mean, seriously, without even laughing about it. Do you think that the picture that was thereby presented of the kind of God God is may have been affected at that time when I was a small, formative boy trying to work stuff out? I'm just, you know, being real about it. Yeah? Do you think that years later, when I'm presented with the idea of God as Father, that that might have made me wonder whether or not I actually wanted any kind of relationship with God or the church or anything else. Actually, I think that part of the reason as soon as I could possibly say no to going to church, I said no to going to church. And I just didn't go. And I wasn't interested. And I think it had a lot to do with that moment. Because those kind of moments really, really matter. Things in the past can affect us in the future, can't they? They can affect us today massively. We're in this series, we're looking at um, the, the, the Christmas Carol story, one of my favourite stories, but also we're linking in from that. See, it's a great story of how anybody can change. Even somebody didn't want to change, Scrooge didn't want to change. He was quite happy in his own way, in his own miserable way. Scrooge was actually happy because he was a success. As far as he was concerned, the way he defined success, he was successful, so why should he want to change? But something happened, and there was like this incredible intervention that took place, whereby he went and he ended up changing. And it's a, it's a great story, and that's why I, I always loved it. Before I was a Christian, this was the book that I would read pretty much every Christmas in the run-up to Christmas. And I think it's because there was, is there something that resonated with me about how do we change? 
How do we not just be the old person that we were? How can I, how can I change? And there was, there's a hint of grace in this story. There's, a, there's something I think that was, was in a sense, inspired by, uh, by God for, for Charles Dickens to write this, this place. Because the truth is, we all have regrets from the past. We all have hurt our, uh, other people. We've hurt ourselves. Other people have hurt us. We've all said foolish things. We've all messed up. We've all, all wasted opportunities, wasted time. We're in this series, and as I say, we're bouncing off one of my favourite stories, A Christmas Carol. It's the perfect story about how somebody can change. Last week, here at Ivy, we looked at how the story started with Ebenezer Scrooge being met by his old business partner, Jacob Marley, who tries to show him, just to help him to start, you can never buy happiness. That's basically the message that he tries to bring to him. There's nothing in the shops that you're going to buy this Christmas that's actually ultimately going to make you happy. No, you know, because if that was the case, the person who buys the most would be the happiest, and we know that's not the case. Scrooge wasn't listening to that. He linked up in his head, you see, that the reason he was successful was because he was mean. That was how he, he saw the world. But in one night, everything changed because he was forced. So he was confronted. He was forced to see and feel the pain of what his future would look like unless he changed today. That's what we have to recognise. We have to look forward in the future and think, if I just play this movie forward into the future and nothing changes, what's that future going to look like? And sometimes we need to be confronted with a very painful future by looking at the past if we're ever going to change today. And he had to recognise that unless he changed his beliefs and his behaviours today from the past, he would not have the future that he would have wanted to have. The, so the, the, the first spirit you'd like that comes in is the ghost of Christmas past. And he takes Scrooge by the hand and flies him over London and then on a tour of his childhood memories. At one point he asks, he says, are you the, the ghost of long past? And he says, no, of your past. I'm going to take you into your past and show you your past now. Places that you don't want to see, things you don't want to think about are going to be confronted. And Scrooge sees himself sat, I quote, as a solitary child at boarding school. While everybody else got to go home for Christmas, his father didn't want him home at Christmas. Do you think that might have affected how he saw Christmas? Yeah? Do you think that when everybody else is saying Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas, what's his response going to be? Humbug to Christmas. Because those things when we're children make such a mark on us, don't they? Huge difference. And then he sees himself as a young man. He, he goes to be apprentice of a guy called Mr. Fezziwig. And he really celebrates Christmas. And they have parties for the staff. And they have lots of fun. And he's like, this is really good. But he doesn't actually change him. Even though he sees a good example, he doesn't become a good example himself. We know that from the way that he treats his own staff. Like, you know, we see that at the beginning of the story. And then he's... His fiancée, Belle, she ends up, he sees a conversation when he's talking with her and she says, I love you, but you love money. That's what's happened to you. you, you just, you, you've been, a, a golden idol has displaced me. It's like you're loving the wrong things and so, so there's no room for me to be loved by you because you love this golden idol of money. And, and then he sees again that he is in her house now and she's married to another man. And she's got children to this other man. And he's like, no, take me away from this. I can't stand it. But, but he's showing him, this is the consequences. 
as a result of the things that you said, you think you've got a, a happy, good life, but actually you've got this solitary, miserable life. And what you've, the, the, the decisions that you've made in the past are creating this kind of future unless something changes. And even though we sentimentalise it, and we all say Merry Christmas, the truth is for many people, actually Christmas holds some of the most painful, painful memories imaginable. You can be haunted by Christmas past. Families can hurt one another at Christmas. Families can divide at Christmas instead of coming together. We, we miss people that we don't see or we have disagreements that get worse with the ones that we do see. We all have an imperfect past because we all had three things. Imperfect chromosomes, we went through imperfect circumstances and we've made imperfect choices. Chromosomes, circumstances and choices. This is where everybody here, our regrets and our defects come from. Number one, my chromosomes, that's your nature. Some of your defects you just inherited is your nature. Both your mum and your dad contributed to you 23 chromosomes each. For better or for worse, you inherited some physical attributes from them. So, for example, I have got horrible toes, but a beautiful nose. <laughs> this explains your predisposition towards certain problems. It doesn't excuse a sin. For instance, because of my parents, I think, I have a tendency towards anger, temper, that comes from my dad. But that doesn't give me an excuse to be angry with people. Scientists may tell me that I am genetically predispositioned towards a certain pattern or sin. That doesn't excuse my choice to become addicted. My genes... My chromosomes is one choice, that's nature. The next is nurture, my circumstances. Rightly or wrongly, you were, you were raised a certain way. The, the world that is your norm was not the norm for anybody else. Because nobody else had the people and the parents around you that you had. Or the parents that you didn't have. You inherit, again, from your parents and then you also see it in your, in, the, in your children, in the children around you at school and the ways that you were brought up and, and whether you're the oldest or the youngest or whether you're an only child and the, the, the birth order, all of that really matters. It all shapes you because we're all born needy. That's not wrong, it's the way we're made as God made us dependent. Look at Poppy, she's dependent so much on her mum and her dad and everybody else. We don't just have emotion, uh, physical needs, we also have emotional needs. And we're going to get them met in certain ways. And if we don't get them met in certain ways, we'll go looking for them, we'll hunger for them, and we'll, we'll, we'll get them covered one way or the other. So, whether it's verbal affirmation, that's what I think I, I was kind of missing most in the sense, whether I'm not saying my parents had a problem, it was my problem, but, but in, not, in not getting the verbal affirmation sometimes that I wanted and craved, as a result of that, that's the one that matters most to me. You know, just tell me I'm amazing. You don't, you don't even have to believe it. It just makes me feel good. <laughs> Physical affection. Attention. Safety. Connection. You might, you might not consciously remember what you were given or what you didn't get given when you were six or when you were seven. But if there were emotions attached, it matters. Today. A lot of our problems today come from our self-defeating attempts to get our needs met when we were young. 
So like Scrooge, you're seeking but not finding. You go looking all your life for meaning. So you have a legitimate need for, for love. God made you that way. Everybody has that need. But you go looking in all the wrong places to get that need met. And so you try and get it met in cheap sex or pornography. To try and get some kind of closeness. Or you have a need for security, but you didn't get it. And so you've been trying to provide for yourself. And so you, 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 you hoard or you spend or you buy possessions or you give gifts or you crave gifts. All of that is to show. It's about security. It's what you're really looking for. I am shaped by my chromosomes, my nature. I'm formed by my circumstances, my nurture. And the last is the most important. And it's this. It's choices. Because I'm a numpty. That's the last end. I'm a numpty. Sometimes I do things. I wish I hadn't done them. It, I, this is the most important. Is because you can have two people who go through the same circumstances and have pretty much the same background, but they're going to come out totally different. Is this true? As a result of the choices that they make. Your choices in the end will determine the path that you take, the decisions that you make. It's, it, there's a massive amount of this that's just down to you. No point pointing at my parents, no point pointing at anybody else. The finger points to me. It's my choices in the end that determine my destiny. You make decisions which form habits and then you become the sum of your habits. You are what you are habitually. Scrooge became who he was because of his choices, because of his decisions, and that's why he became what we call a Scrooge. His habits, patterns, the things that you never intended to develop start to become more and more like you. You chose to do it once, twice, five times. It becomes a habit. Then you think it becomes you. Why does it take so long to get rid of these things, to change? I'll tell you four things why it it, we end up like this. We, people can try all kinds of habits and uh, fixes and therapies and all of this. In the end, it comes down to these four things and the reasons why it's so hard to change the defects in my life. Number one, history. Because I've had them so long. See, none of this happens overnight. You don't become... I, when I was a smoker, I didn't become a smoker the first time I smoked a cigarette. In fact, I hated it. It was like, oh, that's gross. Why would anybody do that? But then over time, I've been doing it so long. It's so hard. Why should I change? And it, and it just becomes really... You see, there's habits that you started maybe way, way back that, that you feel like they defeat you, but actually they're self-defeating because they've become familiar to you. It's like a, a pair of old shoes. They're not, they're not they're doing your feet any good, but they're comfortable. You get in that groove, you get in that rut, that wrong pattern of thinking. Punishing yourself or rewarding yourself. And in the end, you just say, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. Because it's been you for so long, it's hard to let go. That leads to the next one, identity. I think the past is me. We confuse our identity with our history. When we identify with those things and we start to say, that's just the way I am. You know what? The good news of Christianity is you can change. You can change today. Well, actually, God can change you today. That's the best news. See, this isn't just about us making a decision like Ebenezer Scrooge did. This is about not just some spirits of ghost, this is about the Holy Spirit coming and changing us. 
and helping us as we cooperate with him. But if you start to say, well, that's just the way I am, you're identifying yourself, your identity with your history, with your defects and your defaults and your defeats. But your history doesn't have to be your biography. You can, you can change the rest of the story from today. Complete the sentence in your mind. It's just like me to be a workaholic. It's just like me to be worried. It's just like me to be anxious. It's just like me to let other people control me. It's just like me to be controlling. Whatever it is, you're setting yourself up to fail. When you let that thought fester, when you identify with your defeat, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm never going to change. No, you're not. You're right. Because that's what you keep telling yourself. See, if you hear the name Scrooge now, what do people think when they hear that name? Miserable. Which is linked. Miserable is a longer version of the word miser. Isn't it? Live like a miser, you're going to be miserable. Tight, yes. See, that's what you think of when you think of that person. What do you think about when you think about you? What words come to mind when you think about you? The third reason we find it hard to change is because for every negative pattern, ultimately there is a benefit. A reward, I kind of like it. You know, it's not good, but I, I kind of like it. I get something from it. We wouldn't do it if that was not the case. Nobody's that stupid. We always do something in some way because it gives us some pleasure or we feel like it's helping us to avoid pain. My problem or my pattern maybe can get me attention. It might allow me to control other people or to feel like I'm more in control of my own life. Anytime a negative behaviour or thought pattern gets repeated and repeated, even though it's self-destructive, there's always a perceived benefit from it. I remember years ago when I was in the police, there's a guy who was in a, in a, in a prison cell and we were looking after them. And I, and I said to him, and he's a guy who lost it all for heroin. And he'd had a really good life. He had a whole family life going, a business, everything was successful. He started to get on some drugs and it ended up leading to heroin. And he lost the whole lot. And now he's in prison. And I said to him, I said, so you're just in here for a, few, a couple of months. And he said, yeah, I've messed it all up. And all kind of I said, so, so this is it now, you're going to change. And he said, no, as soon as I come out, I'm straight back on the smack. I said, what? Why? And he said, because it's nice. It blew my mind. See, I, I just never expected that answer. It's nice. And I suddenly I thought, well, of course. You've, in your mind, now got that association. That drug is good. It's doing you good. It's helping you to cope. Instead of destroying you. You've rewired your mind and your thought presses to, to believe that lie. Because this is the final one of this. You have an enemy. You have an enemy called the devil who wants to destroy you. Jesus said the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But the good news is he said, I've come that you may have life in all of its fullness. So who are you going to follow today? Who are you going to follow? Which path are you going to choose? See, there's a little voice inside. And you think it's your voice. The New Testament calls him the accuser. And he says... He says, even now as I'm speaking, this won't work. This doesn't apply to you. You'll never change. Might be all right for him, might be all right for her. It won't be, it doesn't apply to you. Some of you, you'll be coming to church for a while, but every time you come, you'll hear a truth and you'll think, this doesn't apply to me. 
Or you might think, well, actually, I'm too good for it. I don't even need it. I'm doing all right. I can sort it all out myself. My stuff's not too bad. Or you could be thinking, well, it's true, and, and actually, yeah, I've got, I've got this habit, and I'd like to stop hurting myself or hurting those people or whatever it is. I'd like to stop hurting from that past experience that happened years ago. I'd, I'd love to change. And then this little voice comes in and says, you think you can change? Forget it. No way. You're hopeless. See, in another, I'll tell you another deadly, deadly tactic. Now, well, that voice comes in and says, do it tomorrow. You don't have to do it today. Do it tomorrow. Be better tomorrow. Be easier tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. Worse than that, this little voice says, if you try and get this sorted out, something bad is going to happen. Something worse will happen if you try and change today. Do you know, we're talking about the father in a minute, but the devil is called the father of lies. It's all he ever does. He wants to wrap us up in his lies and, and he's quite happy to do that. But Jesus one day taught his disciples about the real father, our father in heaven. When they came to him one day and they asked him to teach them to pray. It's interesting to me that when they saw Jesus do miracles, they never said teach us to do miracles. When they saw Jesus, um, heard Jesus preach sermons, but they never said Jesus teach us to preach sermons. But they saw him pray and they saw his connection to God and they said, will you teach us to pray? And actually they knew that was the source of the miracles. That was the reason that the, that the preaching had such power and authority. It was because of the prayer that was involved in the relationship with God that was there through it. So in Luke chapter 11, it says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John saw his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, say it. Father. Say it again. Father. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins us against us and lead us not into temptation. And then he goes on to explain something about it. He says, then Jesus said to them, this is, not, this is not separate from what he's just done. This is explaining it. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children are in, and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone, say everyone. Everyone. Everyone who asks. Receives. The one who. Receives. Finds. Not the good one, not the perfect one, the one who seeks. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, he looks out at a group of imperfect fathers because any group of fathers is going to be a group of imperfect fathers. Anybody who's a father knows that themselves. If your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? It's like ridiculous. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, though you get it wrong so often, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Which is 
who you need most. More than what you think you need, you need him. We hear a lot about Father Christmas. Jesus wants you to get to know the real Father this Christmas. And he might not give you what you want for Christmas, but he'll give you what you need. He'll always give you what you need. And this is what this is saying. And Jesus tells us a story here to help us understand the Heavenly Father and who he is when we pray what he's really like. So whatever Christmas has meant for you in Christmas past, whatever your family chromosomes, whatever your circumstances, whether your earthly fathers are like amazing or whether like Ebenezer Scrooges, they were absent or aloof. Jesus teaches here, there's no perfect earthly dads, but you have a perfect heavenly father. And he won't always give you what you need, but he'll give what you want, but he'll give you exactly what you need if you ask. There's a writer called Kenneth Bailey who wrote an amazing book, and he helped me to understand that story about the guy knocking on the door at midnight in a way I'd never really seen it before. Because I thought the idea was, and I've heard it preached, that he's basically, what he's saying is, so be persistent. There's a guy who's asleep in bed, and if you keep on knocking, eventually maybe you'll get up and do it, so don't give up, just keep on knocking. And then this guy said, that's not, we only think like that because we don't understand the Eastern culture and the way in which it was written. Because the people listening to it would have thought of something completely different when they first heard it than that. And that this isn't about the one praying, it's about the one who's being prayed to. And it's not so much about persistence, but about the personality of God. Because in the time when Jesus walked, and in Palestine, and some people who are our friends here who are from Eastern cultures, they will understand this way better than we do. See, in those cultures there was two massive things. There was hospitality and avoidance of shame. They were the two great cultural things. Hospitality and avoidance of shame. The first one, hospitality. One thing I love about the North is, people really have more of this, oh, come round and have a cup of tea. Come on, come and have a cup of tea, kind of thing, and come in. We have that. When I've lived in the South, to be honest with you, you don't get that as much. And then I call in on, on, on Sashlin and Armin, and, and uh, the other, a few weeks ago, we went in and, and like, he gets the Iranian food out, and he can't just stay for five minutes. You know? It's like, you're here, and you're our honoured guest. See, the Bible says, love your neighbour, but then he tells a story here. You know, how many people, if your neighbour came knocking at midnight asking you for a loaf of bread, would go, oh good. Oh good, my neighbour's come and he wants bread. We don't want the neighbour to bother us, especially when it's too late. But in that culture, there would be no too late. Not because of the neighbour, but because of me. I'll tell you why. I want to avoid the shame of turning him away. Because if I said no to him, to anybody who came to me, to my door, if I turned them away, that would be an incredibly shameful thing. I would be bringing shame upon my family by doing that. I would be bringing shame upon my name by doing that. See, we think we know what shameless means because we live near Withenshaw. But this is a totally different kind of shame that they're talking about. The, Greek, the, the word that he uses there is a really different word. It's enaded. And it, lots of Bibles translate it as persistence. It's totally wrong. He never wasn't given that idea. For centuries afterwards, he didn't even come to mean that. What he meant was, and we can change it, to avoid the shame. The reason that he gives it is because he doesn't want everybody thinking. He's the kind of guy that if somebody comes in need to his door, he's going to turn them away. Because that would be horrible. That would be shameful. That would bring shame on the whole family. 
And the last thing, the thing that they were doing in Eastern cultures, they would always want to avoid bringing shame on their, you know, the, on their faces. It's that losing face thing you've heard about. It's like if you go in Eastern cultures, if you go to a party and they give you a, you get, you get a gift, you don't open the gift there and then because I might not like the gift. And then if you see that on my face, that's going to be shameful for me and for you. So you say, thank you very much, and you take it home with you, and then you open it, and you might not like it. So, why did this, how did this reading start? Very famously, Lord teaches to pray. And so he does. And he says, here's how you pray. You say, Father, and he wants us to know who our Father is. Hallowed be your name. There's something about the honour of God that's involved in when we pray. There's something about how his name is such that he's so invested in answering our prayers, so interested in doing so, because he actually brings glory and honour to his name. He's not the kind of person, when you come knocking, who's going to say, get away from my door. And you know what else we need to hear from this? It's not too late. It's not too late for God. I'm talking tonight, I think I had a word yesterday from God for all the Hannahs in the church. Um, and you know the story, we had it before. Hannah was somebody who was desperate for something and it hadn't come. And, and I think I've got a word for the Hannahs, whether or not your name is Hannah, we're going to be giving it at 7 o'clock tonight at, at, at Didsbury. But basically, well, I don't want to give that word now, but, but if you can come along or, or listen to the, the uh, podcast, it's not too late. Whatever happened in the past, you can pray today and you can be set free for the future. And in a moment, you can pray and God will answer and he will give you, I say this with confidence in the character of God, he will give you what you need. He may not give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need. Sometimes the thing that you think you need, you find out afterwards, I really didn't need that. The, the thing that you want, you think, I want that. It, it's really good that he doesn't give you what you want. So many things I look back and I, I prayed for this. I'm so glad God said no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says yes. They're all answers. In a moment we're going to pray. But God will always, always, always answer that prayer in a way that brings glory to his name. Whatever you got in the past or didn't get. Even if last Christmas you gave George Michael your heart but the very next day you gave it away. <laughs> If in Christmas past you got pain and bereavement or hurt from people who should have loved you, you can ask your father today for whatever you need and he'll give you not just the Christmas spirit, but the Holy Spirit. The counsellor, the comforter, the advocate who will be with you always. Don't try and bury your past. It'll come back to haunt you. Don't try and minimise your failures. That will keep the regrets still there. They'll keep coming back. It doesn't help to blame others. It doesn't heal you to point the finger at anybody else. When you do that, you're just going to end up with a conscience that, a conscience that never lets go. So, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray. We're going to go through three things, three A's, so that we're not haunted by the past, but we can have a new future. And then I'm done. I'll invite you to stand in a moment. And, I'm, and when you stand, if you're going to say, I'm going to join you in that prayer, I'm going to ask you whether you've done this once before or a hundred times, to say, I don't want to be haunted or controlled by the things in the past. I want the new future that God can give to me, that my Heavenly Father can give you. I'm going to ask you to put a hand way up high so I can pray for you and know that you're joining me in that prayer. Number one, admit your need or your guilt. 
or it could be a combination of the two. If you've done something you regret, or if somebody else has done something that hurt you, just admit it. Own up. Proverbs 28, 13. Anyone who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, renounces them, another translation says, he gets another chance. Who needs another chance? Just be honest to God. You're never going to surprise him. He knows it all. He saw it all. He heard it all. He loves you. Number two, accept Christ's forgiveness. He's waiting to clean your slate. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will set you free from the law of sin and death. It's like Ava had an etch-a-sketch thing, I think it was, she was walking around with before. And it's like no matter what gets written on one side, you just give it a shake. And then it's gone. And that's what it's like. That's what Jesus can do. That's good news, isn't it? But it's not automatic. You have to admit it. We have to say, God, this isn't about me just receiving your forgiveness intellectually. I have to accept that I need it and I have to ask it and I'm going to come and I'm going to seek and I'm going to knock and I'm going to find. And we'll, we'll ask you to do that in a moment. And then here's the, here's the last bit. The final, I had to just make it an A. It's live a new life. It's the final bit of this. Because it isn't then just so you do that. You actually now live it out. Only Jesus can do this. He can give you a new future. Have you ever committed a sin and you ask God to forgive you? And even though you know he's forgiven you, you still feel lousy. Or is it just me? Am I the only honest person here today? What do you do in that situation? Do you go back and ask him to forgive you again? Do you confess it over and over? Do you still, still live in the past? Do you make it your identity? Listen, no more. You only have to confess it once say once you only have to confess it once and it may be that you have to forgive yourself a hundred times but you've been forgiven right away straight away absolutely forever God's like what are you talking about all those 99 times that I come to him confessing it again he's like I don't even know what you're talking about because of Jesus because you've been forgiven. Because the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has, the new is come. So we're going to pray now. But you don't need to remind God about all the mistakes and all the messes and all the hurts from the past. Because he already knows. You don't have to waste any more time hanging on to your regrets. You can accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself too. And that will help you actually to forgive other people of the things that they've hurt you of in the past too. So if you're able, please stand. It doesn't have to take long for us to do this. It's, about, it's not about that. It's about how deep it goes with God. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, and maybe he's already been doing it, to call to mind the pains and the hurts and the mistakes of the past. The Holy Spirit, please would you come? And as I've been talking, maybe you've been helping us and you've been reminding us of painful things. And it's hard to have that happen. But we thank you that you do it in the grace of God so that then you show us how those things don't have to mark our future anymore. I'm going to give a moment for the Holy Spirit to do that. It could just be one thing, that's fine. You know, when God, I think when, when God takes us to one thing, it's because he's going to heal a hundred things. We don't have to know it all subconsciously. There's something you've done or something that was done to you. Just 
A and meet your need. I can't do this. I can't change. I haven't got the power. I've tried willpower. I've tried to make myself able to do this. I can't do it. I admit my need. And I turn away. I turn away from that. And I know that as I do that, I need God's power. So I accept grace. Grace to change, to live a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not defined by my past, but destined for a future. Child of God, because I have a Father in heaven. Whenever I come to him, he opens the door. He's not annoyed by my knock, he longs for me to come. He's waiting for me. I can spend as long as I want there with him. He wants to spend eternity with me. Thank you, Father, for being that kind of daddy, that kind of heavenly father, so close, so intimate with us. Help me to come to know you so I can call you Father. And you call me your son, your daughter forever. If you pray now, it's kind of just... There's something that you're really feeling that you just need the Holy Spirit to do something even deeper, a deeper healing or a deeper working. It's just a sign of that, that you're reaching up to heaven, you're knocking on that door. Just put up a hand so I can see it and I can agree that with you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Just every hand that's reaching up to you now, you take that hand, Father, by your grace, and you lead us into a new future, new possibilities. Just, just feel like the Holy Spirit is, is, is doing some like, operations on some hearts right now. And by your, His Spirit, He's dealing with your spirit. He's healing the past. He's changing you now. Believe it and receive it. Say yes to what He does. It's for your own good. He knows your own good. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be whole in the name of Jesus. Be filled in the name of Jesus. Be full in the name of Jesus. Be empowered. Be strengthened in the name of Jesus. Forgive in the name of Jesus. Be forgiven in the name of Jesus. Be restored in the name of Jesus. And believe by faith that's happening. He's doing it. Accept it. This is the truth. Only Jesus can do it and he is doing it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Some people would love to pray with anybody who would like some prayer over by the, the holy brollies of glory over here. So if anybody would like some prayer about anything else, could be to do with this or a need for you or for somebody else, please, just as we worship now, start to make your way over there. Unless you've got to go and collect children, please go and do that as well. Bring them back in for the worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.